You're listening to A Stranger Podcast, www.thestranger.com. If you're stuck in a relationship quandary, or if you're looking for sexual harmony, A programming note. I was at a bar last night with uh, my husband in Canada, boyfriend in America, Terrence, and we were having a drink and somebody did what Terry hates most in the world, uh, walked up and said, I'm, I hate to interrupt and then had already interrupted. So I didn't hate it enough not to do it, but whatever. It drives Terry crazy. It doesn't bother me too much. And he said that uh, a couple of years ago, his uh, partner, boyfriend, had called into the podcast and I had given him some advice and he wanted to right then and there... Give me their status update. And I just wanted to throw this out there. Uh, apparently, this guy, uh, this guy's boyfriend called a couple of years ago, and uh, he was dating the guy who came up to talk to me. And the guy who came up to talk to me was uh, married to a woman and uh, had some kids and was closeted. And I advised the uh, guy who called in to run, to not date this guy. And he came up to let me know that they're still together. It's two years later. He's gotten a divorce. Um, everything's really good. They're really happy together. Um, his wife, not so happy. Ex-wife now a little crazy, very Christian. Uh, but he's got a great relationship with his teenage uh, kids and everything's wonderful. So here's the programming note. They call it advice and not binding arbitration for all sorts of good reasons. When you look up advice in the dictionary, it says opinion about what could or should be done. And opinions are like assholes. Everybody's got one. Some people are assholes with asshole opinions. And I count myself among their numbers. So just – so everybody's on the same page here. We talk about people's problems. Uh, I run with the info I've got. I give it my best shot. But then the person to whom the advice is directed is just supposed to take my opinion into account under advisement, advice, advisement, and then make their own decisions, which is why we welcome your feedback, which is why you can go to thestranger.com slash lovecast and offer your own advice for callers. If you disagree with my advice for callers on the comments threads attached to each and every show, just something to bear in mind, all of you and me too, that I am not infallible. And uh, I had that rubbed in my nose last night. Uh, and I appreciated that because sometimes I have to be brought down to earth. Your calls after this. This episode is brought to you by adamandeve.com where you can find over 18,000 adult entertainment products for every lifestyle. To receive 50% off most any item plus three adult DVDs plus an extra gift plus free shipping, visit adamandeve.com and enter SAVAGE at checkout. Hi, I'm a 20-year-old female bisexual and I have a bit of a problem um, when I was 13, I was diagnosed with ulcerative colitis, and I had to go through a really bad series of operations, and it's causing a lot of problems in my sex life because two things. I can't have anal sex because I don't really have a rectum, and two, it really hurts my abdomen, all the movement and pressure. Every time I talk to a guy about it, I've met with no sympathy, no kindness, no attempt to understand, just frustration. How do I, how do I deal with that kind of problem that I can't help because it's a physical ailment? I'm not going to sugarcoat this. 
you're probably going to have to wait a while and date a while and be open and honest about who you are and what your life experiences have been and what your limitations are as a result for quite a while before you meet a guy who's a match, before you meet a guy who's damage links up with your own in a way that makes your damage, his damage, your limitations, his limitations uh, into kind of assets, if you can think of it that way. Um, there will be guys out there who are not interested in anal or vaginal intercourse or may not be capable of anal or vaginal intercourse. There are guys with erectile dysfunction. There are guys who've – young guys who've had uh, prostate problems that required surgery that left them incapable of uh, achieving or maintaining erection but still interested in sex, still even capable of orgasm uh, but not uh, having an erection. You may have to ultimately, you know, bide your time until one of those guys enters your life. One of those guys is likelier to enter your life if you are upfront about your limitations uh, and also upfront about the other things that you bring to the table that are unlimited and that are good and uh, that, you know, recommend you short of vaginal anal intercourse, anal intercourse, which you're incapable of and vaginal intercourse that leaves you. Uh, that, that feels too uncomfortable uh, for you to engage in. There are also guys with uh, – I hate to say this because it always makes them sad – but micro penises. You know, dicks are basically clits that were enlarged uh, in utero and post-utero uh, by testosterone and male hormones. And not every guy gets enough dick blast hormone to take uh, the clit from basically, you know, the clit end of the spectrum to the, you know, schlong hung porn star end of the spectrum. And a lot of those guys feel really inadequate and a lot of those guys feel really like there's no one out there for them. Uh, there's no one out there that would regard their having a very small penis as an upside. It sounds like you might be someone for whom a very small penis would be an upside because you could have a degree of penetrative sex, vaginal intercourse, that didn't uh, feel uncomfortable because it wasn't going in very far. If it is indeed the penetration, that's the problem. And not the ostomy pouch and not the stoma. So I'm sorry I just can't wave a magic wand and restore you to full health and you know full sexual capability. But I do want you to uh, – Live in hope. Uh, I don't traffic in false hope that there's someone out there for everyone. But there are people out there that you could be very happy with and who could be happy with you. Guys out there with limitations that would dovetail with your limitations. And you need to create a life for yourself while you're single that's full of joy and is satisfying. And keep your eyes open for one of those guys. And advertise for one of those guys. They're out there and if you hang in there, you could meet one. And finally, uh, the men who weren't very compassionate about your plight, fuck those guys. And you can protect yourself from those kinds of thoughtless douchebags by putting your limitations out there, by, you know, if not outing yourself about having – uh, you know, colostomy bag, that's not something you're comfortable just, you know, having out there in the world. Creating profiles on dating websites where you talk about your limitations, you talk about your your medical history, and you say that I'm seeking guys for whom this would not be a problem. And you, you may be surprised who steps up. And the guys who step up will not 
be fucking douchebags who treat you like shit for this reason. So hang in there. And on behalf of all people with penises everywhere, I apologize for the way the guys that you've interacted with have treated you. Uh, hey, Dan. Um, I guess I had a question about Kena Hall Pass. See, I'm uh, deployed in Iraq right now with the Army, and we leave it here in a few weeks, but I won't be able to see my girlfriend until, you know, after the New Year. And before that, I have a high school reunion, and both my, my girlfriend's been really supportive, and we talk all the time, but I've also been chatting with a, well, it was a high school crush, and uh, we, we never ended up doing anything. I guess I want to know how I can approach the subject with, with my girlfriend, how I can, uh, um, I guess, get a free ride while we're apart. She's been really understanding, and at the same time, I've kind of given her um, free reign to, you know, see other guys or other girls if she wants. She's um, maybe a little bit bisexual. And she knows uh, about my high school crush, too. Um, and I wondered what you could uh, help me out with that. It sounds like you guys have an implicit, even borderline explicit agreement that what happens during this year that you're apart happens and you're not going to dwell on it or bust each other for getting your needs met during this forced separation. If that's true, you've extended to her, you know, bye. If you want to do something with someone during this year apart, I'm not going to freak out and it's okay. You don't necessarily need to talk about this. Some people, when they have, you know, a year or two apart, I know people who've had, you know, a few years apart, have hammered out that kind of, you know, whatever happens, happens, and I don't want to talk about it. Uh, those kind of implicit agreements often, the person who's entered in, they don't want to know. They don't want to be thinking, oh, you're at your high school reunion. Oh, you're getting laid. They want to be able to suspend their disbelief, uh, you know, acknowledge reality that, uh, you know, a year apart when you're young, uh, things may happen, but they don't want their noses rubbed in it necessarily. You're in a better position to judge if your girlfriend feels that way. If she does, don't bring it up if you already have the implicit permission slip that you need and you've already given that permission slip. As for your high school crush, here's the thing. <laughs> um, just like a, a word of warning that you may be stressing out about nothing, I had a college crush and uh, a few years later, we not too many years later, uh, arranged a date and I had been pining away for this guy for four or five years. And the minute we sat down uh, together and started to have lunch, I thought, oh, my God, I do not have a crush on this person anymore. It had completely evaporated. Uh, he wasn't the same person. I wasn't the same person. We were in different places. The dynamics were totally different. And nothing happened. So you may find when you get to this high school reunion that this is a non-issue that you're stressing out about uh, because – you're not the same person, she may not be the same person, and you might not feel the same way about her once you're in the same room together. So I wouldn't necessarily run to the girlfriend, uh, again, if you have the implicit permission slip that you need. And in this case, you may not need that permission slip because you've already got it, and you may not need it because you, when you finally get in the same room with this high school crush again, you may not want it. Looking to spice things up in the bedroom? Fantasizing about surprising your lover with an adventurous new toy or adult movie? Well, here's an offer you won't be able to resist. Go to adamandeve.com for a limited time only. You'll get 50% off just about any item. And that's not all. There's more. 
You'll also receive three free adult DVDs, plus a free extra gift, plus free shipping on your entire order. Check out adamandeve.com today for this special offer. That's adamandeve.com and enter Savage at checkout. Hi, Dan. I am 21 years old, bi-female, and I have a little problem. I have a big kink, but it's a kink that I find can't really be applied into everyday life. See, I'm really interested in this one thing called breast expansion. And pretty much what it is is this fictitious thing that happens where when a girl gets turned on or by magic or by hypnosis or something, her boobs get really big. And it's kind of like transferred over into also her ass gets big and maybe she like inflates in some other regions. And I I don't really know why I find this really sexy. I think it has something to do with, um, I don't have a dick, so something's really sexy to me about, like, wow, I got really turned on and my dick got really big and huge, and I'm starting to think that maybe that's why I find it really sexy, that it's like, I'm a chick, and I'm getting really aroused, and this is sexy, and my tits are getting so huge, you know, I don't know. The thing is, is that I have a really hard time applying this to my real sex life. It is a sort of kink that only really gets me off in porn. It's the only porn I'll look at, really. I can't get off unless I'm looking or reading or, you know, there's, like, comics or stories about these girls whose tits get extremely huge when they get turned on or blah, blah, blah. It's weird. I know. The problem is is that it just really can't transfer over into the real life. I've had a boyfriend before who tried to make it work. Like while we were having sex, he would say, oh, your boobs are getting so huge. And it just turned me off. It was weird. It just didn't work for me. So I want to know if this is something I should just leave for pornography or if there's any way I could transfer this into the real life because it gets me so turned on. And I would love, love for it to actually work in this sexual relationship. You, you know a fetish has arrived when it's got an acronym. It's called BE for breast expansion. And uh-huh. there's all sorts of different kind of variations on it. And yours is charming. You know, there's some people who are into what's called BE bursting, which is the breasts grow and grow and grow until they explode and the woman yeah, bleeds to death. Yeah, that I, I, I frown on that sort of shit. But, but you, you totally nail it. It's kind of about you know some sort of visible besides just wetness and the female erection. And women do get erections. They're, uh, the, you know, vulvas go blah, 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 when they're turned on because all the erectile tissues uh, that, that a woman has fill with blood just like the man's dick and it, you know, the vagina goes, hello, look at me. <laughs> but, you yeah. know, the, you're, you've nailed it with this idea that, you know, when I become aroused, I want to have this sort of visible, physical almost debilitating manifestation of my arousal, just kind of like a guy does. You know, a boner uh, can be a wonderful thing. It can also be kind of a curse, right? And an embarrassment because it outs you as turned on. And that's kind of what you're somehow, you know, during your adolescence, during that stage of life when sometimes paraphilias kick in, your erotic imagination latched onto that. Now, it's not as pathetic or unrealizable as you might think. Okay. Uh, you can, of course, you know, get enormous, ridiculous breasted plants and make a, a, a gimp <laughs> and, and a disabled person of yourself, as some women have done, for the attention. But there are latex fetish websites where you can basically get, you know, fake boobs, a bra that does the thing that you fantasize about. Of course, there won't be sensation. It won't be your real breasts growing. 
but yeah. you can fake it uh, and, and live it, which is, you know, it's not some special curse. You know, the centaur fetishists have to fake it and the furries have to fake it. They don't really <laughs> have fur and the scallies don't really have scales. You know, even people, you know, dom, sub, you know, not really a slave, not really a master. It's all just pretend. But you can totally yeah. explore your fantasies uh, by playing cops and robbers or grown-ups with your pants off, as I like to call it. Uh, you know, I can understand why when your boyfriend was just like verbalizing it, that didn't work for you. Because, you know, he's talking about, oh, my God, your breasts are growing. And you look down and they're not growing. Yeah, exactly. It was really just silly. And so, but if you could do it with, you know, where you, you know, you're wearing an outfit, you have a latex bra that, that, that's created for breast expansion fetishist play, he would be saying these things and you would look down and your breasts would be growing <laughs> or appear to be growing and the buttons would be popping off your shirt. And I think, you know, just like the furry person, if they're like, you know, talking up a dirty talk storm about being covered in fur and they look down and all they see is hairless pink flesh, not as exciting as when they pull on their furry costume and then talk about it and look down and see fur, even if it's fake. It's still yeah. more exciting. Okay. So I wouldn't feel too despondent about the kink that you've got. It's kind of charming It's and it's completely realizable in the sense that a furry's kink is realizable, that – you know, a uh, sub's kink is realizable. A centaur fetishist kink is realizable. And it certainly makes you a more interesting person to fuck. Oh, well, thank you. Because I always feel like it's so odd. Like, I've never met anyone else in person. Like, I found lots of, like, stuff online which someone had to have made, you mm -hmm. know. But I get to, like, meet somebody. Most of the people who have your kink are guys. Yeah. So on top of it being rather rare, you're also going to have your pick. Of the BE fetishists. That when you go yeah. out there, if you want to find a guy who's into this, you don't have to take the first guy who comes along. You are a treasure. Oh, thank you. To the BE community. Because there are very few women. It's like women into diapers are few and far between. Women with foot fetishes, few and far between. So you can write your own ticket. You can you know, cast a wide net, look at all the BE fetishists out there, and find the one who... That set aside, you're into, you like him, you're attracted to him, uh, you click emotionally at the same sort of life calls, and he's into BE. Now, he might be you know, living in Hong Kong, he might be on the other side of the world, but sometimes things like this, thanks to the internet, can bring people together who belong together. Yeah. I also think it's a kind of fetish that you shouldn't be ashamed to ask a partner who isn't into it to indulge you. It's not a big deal. Oh, thank you. You're welcome. And enjoy, enjoy. It's a total, you know... When you look at the great sort of breadth and scope of kinks and pet fetishes and paraphilias, aren't you glad you're not into shit? That's what it always comes yeah. down to for me. Like, this is my kink and oh my god, it's such a trial and it's ruined my life. And I just look at those people and go, could be shit. Could be, could be kids. It could be uh, shit. It could be necrophilia. It could be dead bodies. It could be dismemberment. Like, there's so many words. Yours, when you, you look at it in the continuum, is fucking charming. Okay, thank you, man. That that really makes me feel better. Good luck. Have fun. Go online. Start shopping. Breast expansion fetishist latex bra. Google it. And there's going to be stuff out there for you. Sweet. Thank you, Dan. Sure thing. Good luck. Have fun. Hi. I had a question about hymens. First of all, what is a hymen? All of my friends talked about it in middle school and high school, about how when you lose your virginity, your hymen breaks. But when I lost my virginity, I never felt like that happened. It didn't hurt and I didn't bleed. Um, secondly, does everyone have a hymen? Is everyone born with it? Or is this one of those female prostate things where some people have it and some people don't? 
secondly, if hymens do actually exist, what happens when they break? Where does it go? Does it just disappear? Is it absorbed back into your body? I personally am starting to believe that hymens are just a myth and that this might actually not be a biological thing that exists. I never remember having a hymen. I don't remember seeing my hymen as a child when I played with myself, and I don't remember it ever going away. Um, I'm very curious about this, so if you could figure that out for me, that would be great. Thanks so much. Joining me by phone from her office at Indiana University, Debbie Herbenek, research scientist at the Kinsey Institute, writer, columnist, and vulva puppeteer, and regular Savage Love guest expert. Hey, Debbie, how you doing? I'm great. How are you? Uh, Good. Thanks so much for joining us today. Debbie's also the author of Because It Feels Good, A Woman's Guide to Sexual Pleasure and Satisfaction, and Read My Lips, A Complete Guide to the Vagina and the Vulva. So if anybody knows that the hymen is a myth, it's Debbie Herbanek. Debbie, can you confirm for me that the hymen does not actually exist and there is no such thing and it's just a myth that we terrorize middle school girls? Not at all. The hymen totally exists on, on most women, not everyone. Uh, but the vast majority of girls are born with a hymen. And, you know, they're not like the little elves with the shoemakers. And they're <laughs> real. And, but what are they and what's their purpose? So the hymen is just a, a very, very thin layer of tissue. It's a, it's a mucous membrane and it's part of the vulva. And so it's not this extra appendage. And so that's why some people may not remember noticing a hymen when they played with themselves when they were little. Um, or at any other time, because it, it's not this big extra thing that's just kind of there. Now, it is filled with um, blood vessels, and so if you have a hymen, particularly a substantial hymen, then when it breaks, you might notice some blood, but you might not. You know, many women don't remember noticing any blood when they first broke their hymen, um, and others recall quite a lot of blood. And, but, and women don't always necessarily break their hymen the first time they have sexual intercourse. You can break your hymen before you're sexually active. Isn't that correct? You can. In, in very rare cases, uh, girls might break it through kind of like accidental play, falling on things. Um, more often, you know, you might break it when you're, uh, you know, using tampons repeatedly as you're growing up or uh, while you're masturbating or when you, you know, have sex play with a partner. So it may not necessarily be like, you know, a penis or a sex toy that breaks it. It might be something that came earlier. How do people get to be sexually active adults and not know – how do some women get to be sexually active adult women and not know that they have or have had hymens and think that hymens are some sort of conspiracy theory myth, that hymens brought down Tower 7 at the World Trade Center, for instance? You know, I think there's a couple things. For one thing, you know, it really isn't this big extra noticeable thing. You could easily be very familiar with your genitals growing up and and never see, you know, and know what all the parts are and – and know that this thing is called a hymen. Most women and girls don't even really know all their vulva parts anyway, so there's that. But, they are, you know, the other thing is I think we all have so much baggage around the hymen because, you know, many of us are aware that, uh, you know, this is used to bring women down in a lot of cultures, that women are um, looked at, you know, they get exams sometimes before they get married to make sure that their hymen is intact, which is supposed to prove that they're virgins and therefore fit to be married and, and worthy of this amazing man that they're going to be with. And I think, you know, that's just, you know, that's so repressive to a lot of people that, um, you know, I think maybe they have possibly heard about that. They know that that sucks. Maybe they've heard that um, it really is a myth that you can always tell if a woman is a virgin or not based on her hymen because you really can't. Even gynecologists can't always. So they may therefore take that to just mean that the whole thing is a myth. The whole thing is made up. But this part does exist. 
And now you can get it restored, I understand, that there are people who will construct a hymen, you know, contributing to those cultural prejudices around women who are virgins, being more worthy. It's all, I think, completely batshit. Yeah, the whole hymen, uh, I mean, it's just, it's crazy. So, yeah, there's this whole hymen restoration thing, and, you know, I, I do get it in the sense for, you know, some people are, for whatever reason, they they are in this culture, in these relationships, whatever, and this is an extremely important thing, or they're not going to be able to get married. Um, sometimes, you know, they actually have been having sex with the person that they're about to marry, and they just feel like they're going along with culture and tradition, and they're going to let the parents inspect the young woman. And, you know, that's, you know, people do that, and sometimes people get restored because of that. Um, you know, other times uh, here in the U.S., something that's happening is some women are getting their hymen restored just kind of for kind of like a fun sex play thing with their partner. And one of the research studies I'm doing now, we're working with a gynecologist who does a bunch of other elective cosmetic surgeries on women's genitals, and she does the hymen ones. And she told me a story about, you know, a woman who uh, was on her second marriage, and she and her husband, you know, had had sex before, and they decided that they thought it would be really fun, and I guess they had disposable income and some time to spare, so she had it done and had to wait. So she flushed some of that disposable income down her (laughs) vagina. Yeah, apparently, in, into the hymen, and she did it. And then, you know, he broke it for her as part of their sex play. Backing way up, you know, Read My Lips, A Complete Guide to the Vagina, blah, blah. Who's the target audience for this book? Not men, right? Probably not mostly men. So you know, what, I think- where, how is it that so many women, like this caller, and no offense to the caller, you know, you're not responsible for the way you were brought up or the information that was kept from you or the general sexual ignorance in American culture, but how is it that so many women get to be adult women and know so little about their own genitals? Because no one talks to us about them. You know, our moms don't talk to us about it, and, and even if they do, they probably don't have a lot of information. So you have a lot of people operating in the dark. And, you know, the target audience, it, you know, is something we talked a lot about because there's certainly information in there for young women who have never had gyne exams, never looked at their genitals. But we also wrote it with, you know, with moms in mind and parents who are raising girls and want to know how to talk to their kids about genitals and want to know how to care for them when they're infants or toddlers or, you know, going through puberty and getting periods and so on. So it was a tough book to write in that regard because you just know that, there are women of all ages who lack that information. My grandmother, before she died and was 90 years old, told me she had never seen her genitals. And for a lot of women in that generation, that was pretty common. So you're not just an expert about women's genitals. You know about genitals generally. And we have another call. Can you hang out for another call about, yeah. about Dick? Yeah, totally. Okay, here we go. Hello, Dan. My father and I have a fairly open and honest relationship. And through conversation, I've discovered that he has the ability to come and ejaculate twice during a single uh, intercourse, I guess. He told me that when he was younger, in his 20s, he didn't understand what people were talking about because he would have one orgasm and ejaculate, and then five, ten minutes later, while still going at it, that he would again. Now, I can stay erect for a fair amount after I come, but I'm not as excited about moving around and too sensitive, and I don't, I don't feel like I will be able to do it again without first becoming flaccid and then waiting maybe 15 to 45 minutes, 15 when I was a teenager, and now 45 minutes to an hour as a 26-year-old. Is this perhaps something that I might be able to achieve because it's something that my father is able to do. 
Okay, let's set aside the whole issue of sitting around with dad talking about his orgasms, you know, when and how and the, you know, time lapse between my father's orgasms. There's nothing I've ever discussed with my father and I don't know what's up with this guy and I don't want to think about it too much. But why can women have multiple orgasms, orgasm after orgasm after orgasm potentially, and guys have usually one and done? You know, we don't really know. Um, There's been some research on the topic and... You know, it's certainly clear that, that some number of women, we don't know how many, can have multiple orgasms, um, but it's extremely rare for men to have multiple orgasms, and and specifically multiple ejaculations. Sometimes when you say men don't have multiple orgasms, you get the whole, uh, like, tantra people saying, yes, they do, yes, they do, yes, they do. Can we pause, but, can we pause here for a second just to say that yeah. the tantra people are annoying and exhausting, and I wish they didn't have my email or my phone number, but now please go on. <laughs> okay, so... So because wait 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 because I think we can all agree that if you're having eight hour orgasms you need to get a fucking job that there's other things you have to do during the day besides like contribute to society yeah mow the fucking lawn read the goddamn newspaper go vote I don't have time in my life for eight hour orgasms all these people who write me these long letters explaining how my anti tantra bias I'm tantra phobic uh, I'm really depriving myself of these eight I don't want a fucking eight hour orgasm leave me alone now please go on Debbie. Yeah, so I, I get those I get those emails. I know where you're coming from, and uh, and this is a different beast, right? We're talking about having ejaculations one after another in a short period of time without losing your arousal, and and that is something you don't see very often um, or hear about very often. And so there's been a little bit of research where they've taken men who have these experiences into the lab and they hook them up, and they try to find out what's different about their bodies. And and at least a couple of these instances. The men have had, you know, some different kind of hormonal activity. So typically when men and women have orgasms, they release a lot of a hormone called prolactin, which is thought to inhibit sexual arousal and keep us from kind of, you know, getting things going again and being interested. And yet these men don't Wait, seem to it's, release- it's, it's, it's your body's way of saying... Go mow the lawn, go read the newspaper, go make yeah, some dinner. Yeah, go to sleep, go chill out, you know. <laughs> right, don't have a fucking eight-hour orgasm. Go do something else. You did the sex thing, now fucking get on with something else. Anyway, go ahead. So so these men don't seem to have that same prolactin response. Now, that doesn't mean that the prolactin is at the heart of all of this, but it's one of the clues that scientists are kind of, uh, you know, looking into. Because these men are so few and far between, let alone coming into a research lab, it's tough to really know if, you know, if that's kind of the deciding factor here. But right, um, but right things- now the evidence is that the one thing they've been able to identify or isolate is that these guys' bodies aren't flooded with this particular hormone after orgasm. Yeah, that this is a key difference. And, you know, and then there's other research that shows that sometimes men who take Viagra have a reduced refractory period. So, you know, so something else is going on possibly with, you know, some type of neurological activity, I don't know, uh, or neurochemical activity that would change that. But men shouldn't take Viagra in order to shorten their refractory period either. You know, that's not a good reason to start a drug. So, But getting back to this um, caller's question, this isn't something he can learn. This is either something you can do or not do. A man can't learn to have no refractory period or to not flood his right. body with this your particular Right. Your refractory hormone. period is your refractory period, unless for some reason, you know, you're just, after you come, you just kind of go and you do other things, and, and you're not even trying to get in a sexual frame of mind. But other than that, you know, there's really nothing you can do, and, and men need to be okay with that part of themselves rather than, I think, always trying to, um, you know, achieve this mythical status of just having, uh, you know, erection and ejaculation over and over again. Because it ain't going to happen. Unless it's already Mostly happening. Mostly not. Okay. Yeah, unless it's happening. Unless that's who you are. 
I want to thank you, Debbie, for joining us today. Debbie is, of course, a research scientist at Indiana University and the author of the upcoming book, Read My Lips, A Complete Guide to the Vagina and Vulva, which is coming out in November, but you can pre-order it at Amazon now, and I urge you to do it. Uh, thanks so much, Debbie. Thank you. Hey, Dan. Um, I am a 30-year-old bi girl, and I am six months into an open relationship, um, and it's going great. I am crazy about the, this guy. Um, he, uh, you know, one of the reasons we got into this relationship, or we set it up the way we did, is um, we knew each other for a while beforehand, and um, you know, he, I, he's he, he's been able to talk with me about how he's cheated on girlfriends in the past, and it breaks his heart, and he's, and, you know, he feels really bad about it. And as I was falling in love with him, that was one of the things I really, I really wanted for us is that he would never have to cheat again. And instead he could talk to me about it and there'd be other ways to manage his um, interest in being with someone other than just one person. Um, and it's going pretty well. We've both uh, had opportunities outside the relationship and we've kind of settled into mostly just wanting to be together. Like you talk about um, very much feel like we're living something along the lines of monogamish and it's great. Well, uh, this weekend he, uh, he was traveling with me and using my computer and, uh, he left his Facebook page up. And, um, when I opened my computer, I didn't realize it was him that was logged in. Uh, it took me a minute and I opened up a message from his ex-girlfriend, the one he was with while, we, while I was kind of waiting it out, um, uh, while we became friends. And, um, so I caught just a snippet of conversation because I really didn't want to read very much, but in that it said, she, you know, she was complaining about her sex life with her new boyfriend, and he said, well, standing offer, you know that. And she is the one person um, in this open relationship that is not okay, and I've been very clear about that. Um, and I've got a lot of reasons for that, um, including that she's a little bit nuts uh, and, and really young, and, I, and I, I think she doesn't understand mine very well. So I saw this and I went and talked to him about it immediately. I also closed the computer immediately and did not dig further. And he was honest with me and told me that he had slept with her once since we have been officially together in the last six months. And I'm pretty upset about it. Um, I'm going to be okay with him. I'm going to forgive him and we're going to get there. But I'm left wondering, you know, this, what do you, how do you feel about in an open relationship putting an ex or a certain person, for whatever reason, off limits. A, a specific person gets the veto. Um, does that just make it more attractive? Is it a recipe for failure? Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm wondering about that. There are two issues here. One is veto and one is trust. Yes, you need to be able to have complete uh, veto power over each other's partners, I believe, in a monogamous relationship. Some people never issue a veto. So they have veto power, but they never act on it. Uh, but I do think you need to have it because even if you have the kind of monogamous relationship where your partner has your permission to sometimes sleep with other people, that's bank shot sleeping with you too. So if he's out there sleeping with people who are, for whatever reason, risky, he's putting you at risk. So you need to have some say and input and I believe veto for you to feel safe in an open relationship or monogamous relationship. You know, if he was out there fucking, 
you know, crack-addled trash. You're covered with track marks and lice and cooties. And then coming home and sleeping with you, that's a problem for you. You have a right to veto that person. You know, maybe this girl isn't, uh, you know, she doesn't have any sexually transmitted infections. She's not covered in track marks. She doesn't have a crack problem. But you've said she's a little unstable and a little bit nuts. And that could potentially also impact you. You know, what if she shows up at your front door in the middle of the night, pounding on the door, demanding his dick, or decides to make your life hell to drive you away from him? You know, he's just inviting chaos, if this girl is chaos, potentially into your life too when he fucks her. So you have an absolute right to say, you know what? I'm down with this open relationship stuff. I'm down with being monogamish, not down with her. When you sleep with her, I don't feel safe. I feel It makes me feel uncomfortable and it's not okay. And you have to have a right to rule that out. There's also the issue of trust. Trust is what makes a monogamish relationship go. And he has violated your trust. You vetoed this girl and he fucked her anyway and lied to you about it and hid it from you. That's an issue that you need to unpack at great length. Veto is easy. Yes, you should have veto. And so should he. If you were ever sleeping with somebody that he was uncomfortable with for whatever reason, he needs to be able to throw it on that veto card. And then he needs to see that you respect his veto just as you need to see that he respects yours because that will reinforce mutual trust, which is, again, what makes it go. And he's violated your trust by sleeping with this girl and lying to you about it. And it makes me wonder and it should make you wonder what else has he lied to you about? What else potentially in the future could he lie to you about? And he needs to explain at great length what his thought process around fucking this girl despite your objections was and you guys need to hash out how you're going to make sure that this doesn't happen again Uh, and you need to put him on notice that this is a potentially awesome relationship ending fuck up on his part and you may be willing to forgive him this once but this isn't something that I would encourage you to forgive again and again and again if he can't Respect your veto and you can't respect his and he can't demonstrate that he's worthy of your trust by respecting your veto. He's not someone who's mature enough or safe enough for you to be in a monogamish relationship with. Hi, Dan. Um, I just wanted to call and say thank you. About two years ago, I was in a really abusive relationship that I just couldn't seem to get myself out of. For whatever reason, I got myself trapped in one of those situations where it just felt like I deserved to be there. And finally, one day, he crossed the line, and I was about to give him a second chance when I heard your voice say, dump some motherfucker already. I did. I I walked away. And last week, um, my new boyfriend proposed, and he is now my fiancé. Um... So thank you for helping me find the courage to stand up for myself and to find someone so wonderful. Thank you so much. You're welcome and congratulations. But a word, uh, a programming note for people out there. Uh, You know, sometimes people are afraid to end bad relationships because they fear being alone. And you may have been in that place and you ended this relationship and, oh, my God, now you're engaged to a much better guy. I don't want people uh, to necessarily think that uh, you know, the, the, the way to find a much better guy is just to dump the douchebag you're with now. Uh, if you're with somebody who makes you miserable, you should leave that person, whether or not 
you meet the love of your life six months later, whether or not you wind up engaged to a new guy uh, or a new girl in two years. The mindset you have to be in when you're in a bad relationship is the longer I stay in this relationship, the more miserable I'm going to get. If I'm in this relationship, if someone comes along who is better for me, who may treat me uh, with respect, who I may love more, uh, I'm not going to be available to date that person because I'm involved with this douchebag I'm afraid to leave for fear of being alone. But you also have to say, but even if I leave this douchebag and I wind up alone, better to be alone and happy than partnered and fucking miserable. There's nothing about being single that necessarily means you have to be miserable. Uh, it is better to be alone and have some autonomy and not have some fucking asshole raking your coals every day than be in that fucking relationship. So I just want to, uh, you know, I appreciate your call and congratulations, but I don't want other people out there who are in bad relationships, who are afraid to pull the trigger and end it to, uh, you know, be angry in two years because unlike you, they didn't meet somebody else. I want those people to end those relationships, whether they're going to be alone for the rest of their lives and content, uh, or they're going to meet the love of their lives uh, in six months or a year because they're free. Hi, Dan. Uh, I admire your ability to help out that unicorn with her um, problem. She was the third and wasn't able to get off because uh, the couples weren't able to read her mind. I, uh, I admire your ability to give her advice because there's nothing that drives me more bonkers than uh, people with the inability to ask for what they want, as far as I'm concerned, or I can't at least help thinking that if you can't ask for what you want, you probably don't deserve to get uh, what you're looking for. Hey, Dan. Uh, I'm calling in response to episode 252 uh, to the gay man who... Is uh, wondering why so many gay men are into barebacking and having sex without a condom. Uh, and it's not just gay men. I've encountered many women who's tried to get me a sex without a condom if I didn't have one just because they're on birth control or they claim that they're STD free. And uh, so I don't think it's just gay men. I think there are just a lot of stupid fucking people out there. Uh, so, you know, don't need to be so confused. Yeah, hi. This is, uh, you know, I'm calling in response to episode 251. Uh, specifically the girl who is looking for a guy, you know, who, who doesn't look at porn, doesn't drink, doesn't smoke weed. Well, I, I've got nothing against, you know, people who who uh, who are kind of straight edge and cis and others be the same. No, the notion that she has that it's impossible for someone to ever, you know, to ever drink or or, or get high without being an addict. And that's suggesting that maybe she might actually have to, um, she might need to unpack, unpack a few things with a counselor. Now, I myself, you know, have... Uh, have issues with uh, drug and alcohol abuse in my family, but you know, but I, I've come to accept that occasionally people can get drunk and not, you know, with, without being, you know, a complete junkie or alcoholic. She, she might need to unpack some of the stuff with a counselor if she ever wants to interact with human beings again, romantically or not. And we're going to leave it there. Thank you all for your calls and your comments. 206-201-2720 is the number here at the podcast. If you'd like to record a call or a question or a comment for a future show, give us a buzz. Also, if you do not yet have the Savage Love app, you will want to get the Savage Love app for Android or iPhone. There's a new question and answer for me nearly every day at the app. All my columns, all the love casts, and more me, me, me. Because you really don't get enough of me, do you? All the time. Savage Love app is free for Android users in the Android market, and it's a buck ninety nine at the iTunes stores. And did you know that you can give the app as a gift? You must know someone out there who is a clueless motherfucker who doesn't know his ass from a hole in the ground who could use advice. 
wisdom. Not just my wisdom, your wisdom. Lots of wisdom from callers here on the Savage Podcast. Uh, so head over to the iTunes store and gift somebody who's a clueless motherfucker the app. Perhaps someone who doesn't know whether the hymen is a myth or not could use the app today. Once again, the number here, 206-201-2720. Give us a call. Me and the tech savvy at-risk youth. We'll be back at you next week with another installment of the Savage Lovecast. Thanks for downloading.